How would you describe the color yellow to an alien? I would be like, I mean, well, it depends how the aliens feel, like how they how they perceive the universe. Like I don't know their sensory, like how they like how they enjoy senses. Welcome to another product podcast, listeners. This is part two of our conversation with Rim Al Wahabi, where we discuss the topics of leadership, the unique hiring reality of Europe work-life balance, and of course, Reem's new adventure at DPL. At the very end, you're also going to get to know her a bit more. Without further ado, let's get into it. I'm curious, working in startup in Munich, was there any, would you say, oh, I think this is a little different from, let's say, from YC podcast or any podcast that we do? <laughs> You know, from U.S. Um, startup culture, I think the broiness is still the same. It's universal, yeah. unfortunately. But let's say you know, I think this is different. If you can name a few things, you know, startup in, in Europe is different. What would Teresa Torres would say about discovery habits? <laughs> well, I think this is something you've mentioned in some of your previous episodes. But but there's a bit of an exodus from Germany right now especially of small business owners or freelancers, because in the end, like the, the way the system works here, it doesn't, it doesn't tend itself towards people who are owning their own business. If, if, if a person calls in sick in a startup, you know, and, and they're sick for a week, that's like a lot of resources lost in, in that company. And that's really, really, and that puts a lot of extra load on the whole team. That's really painful. If everybody leaves the office exactly at, at 6 p.m., every, every person is almost like more than one person in, in a startup and they have to be, they have to like, they have to be worth more than one person. I think in the American culture or other cultures, that's understood. You're going to work in this company. You're going to work. You're going to work your butt off. You're doing this for extra shares. You know, you're going to be part of the, our success story. We're going to talk. We're going to laugh about this time in five years when we all stayed up all night working in a in someone's you know living room. And, and there's a kind of like badge of honor of this kind of stress and this kind of environment. Whereas here, nobody really like everyone still wants to leave on, on, at 5 p.m. on Friday and go hiking uh, or spend the weekend with their friends, and, and you know, and, and it's just a different environment that for startup that can be a bit of a, like that's difficult because you know you have these deadlines and you have to get things done, but you have this work-life balance that's part of it, and you need that to attract talent. How are you going to attract great talent here if mm-hmm. you don't have those conditions? Because you're Europe up against all these companies. Yeah, which have which have that those conditions of so bringing somebody from a big company or someone from like a a Google maybe has this amazing experience that you need in your new AI startup, but how do you convince them to come join and come join that, like the journey right there? And I think this is a, a real challenge for startups in general in Europe. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really becomes some sort of, you're looking for uh, more than a company match when you join a startup. Um, you can, you can get away in a big company working with people that you don't enjoy working with, right? But you can really do that on a startup. So no. even during your interview process, you, you really need to figure it out if, you know, do I see myself working this much and this close with these people? Like the cultural aspect, if it really overlaps with your own values, is at the very top of, of the stuff that you need to figure out. It's uh, actually the, what I say is like, it's like joining a startup is like joining a cult because a cult. you are, like because that. you have Sound to really, like really... You have to believe in this, you know, 
this afterlife <laughs> because because you know you're joining a cult and it's like hey we're we're, go- we're all gonna like be together and suffer together and you're gonna give me all your money and then in the end you're gonna you're gonna join you're gonna get salvation and go to the aliens or whatever this cult leader is trying to tell you but it's some extraordinary future that is like unlikely but you're there for this journey and you believe in it and you have to believe in it every day it's it's a it's a lot of work and it's a huge journey you're raising this baby together and you're 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 building this product and i think if you're not really on board as part of the cult and you're sort of like at home every day like oh, i don't i don't buy this bullshit i don't believe in the aliens then then you know you're going to be unhappy and i think this is like as you said david you have to really find that fit that that, that cult that it's worth you know join the question to you guys yeah to the moon right crypto to the moon <laughs> aliens right there but what i'm hearing reem and david you guys you you can also chime in is you the European startup cult is nine to five, whereas U.S. cult, let's say startup, this cult is you work together until you, we're done. Exactly until, <laughs> until mm-hmm. you leave the company or one in a million, we go IPO, right? So, ground does the startup concept work in Europe? They they have a disadvantage, you know. Against but- globally, they're in, in in a disadvantage. Yeah. But where they have an advantage is that there's so much freaking innovation to be had in Europe, right? There's so many industries that are like an, an example is anything to do with regulation. No American company can come into Germany and do that shit as good as somebody in Germany can. And those companies cannot even scale. Like if you have a, a product that works really well for regulations in Germany, you have to think really deeply about how that would work in France, how that would work in other countries in Europe. It's not it doesn't scale as easily. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities there. I think it's a very it's a different game than the startup it's world in the, in the states. Yeah, I, would, I would also say the same. It's a, it's a different game. And I would like to quote my good friend Lucas when he said, "Carpet bombing versus sharpshooters." So he's now working at a tax fix company, right? But he he mostly worked for U.S. companies, right? So for him, U.S. is more like carpet bombing. Let's try everything super quick, like mm-hmm. very pragmatic, a hundred things in parallel. One of them is going to nail it. Whereas here, especially I'm talking about Germany, right? he's like, okay, here are more like sharpshooters, right? Way less. Take the, their time to aim and then they make sure that that shot actually counts. Do would you agree with that take? I, I 100% agree. I think it's... <laughs> I think it's a, it's a really great analogy, and I think that, that I think that's also why a lot of people, a lot of companies here are bootstrapped, which I think is a better idea, to be honest. They bootstrap before they go for a bigger investment because I think that's even smarter in the context of like you're really sharpshooting, you're really aiming very very carefully at what you're trying to solve. But that also means that you grow really slowly. So this is the like the, the challenge. But the, I think the time, but I, it would be my assumption, David. I would be interesting to validate it that between that there's more there's more time between funding rounds in European startups as in in, in sort of American startups. Like there's like between the Series A and Series B, it could be like a lot more years because they're really, mm-hmm. you know, often really focusing on hey, how do we do this properly? It's not just like scale, scale, scale at all costs. Like it's it's often like a little bit more careful because. Because also they can really de-scale as easy as in the U.S. Exactly. Also, great point. <laughs> but you know what, guys? Like in the end, the most important thing, and I stand by this, and any company, big and small, is hiring, and and nobody and nobody talks about. It. And you know what? What blows my mind is that managers are not being judged 
on their attrition rates. Like, like we talk about data driven and I don't know what, but no manager is being, is, is being like constantly bothered about how people on their team have quit. And this, ha- like, and this is just such a strange thing to me because it's one of the most important data points that you need as a leadership team to be like, hey, what is the attrition rate in this team? And that, that tells you so much about a team and how successful they are. And, and, and managers are not being judged on that. They don't get their raises or like how much, you know, it, it, this is not happening in their, in their performance reviews. It's almost like, oh, that person left because they found a better job or like, you know, this is happening there. But like at some point there's a pattern and that, that's often never being, it's completely ignored. And I think it's a, it's a really strange thing. Like hiring, mis- bad hiring and people leaving a company has a huge impact on the company. Yeah, let's let's dive in a little more on this because when you look U.S., there's again LinkedIn does this Glassdoor. You can look up the tenure or how long the turnover rate of let's say of individuals per company, right? Mm-hmm. And it is a big thing when you're when you're early in a career or when you're you know already experienced when you're looking for another company. You look how like what's the average turnover rate, right, of that company. Why do you think we in Germany or in Europe we don't talk about like the turnover rate or people who left so much? And we died a little bit about this. Getting fired is definitely more difficult in Europe. But I'm curious, why is not part of our leadership conversations? I think that the I don't know if this is a European problem because I've only worked in tech here. So maybe David or like Enoch, you could tell me what you think um, from your experiences, but. In general, I think that we're putting so little emphasis on what it means to be a good leader and good manager. And and, and there's so little time and coaching and onboarding happening. And the things that are really critical in the, in the journey of a leader, what your what your job is, which is hiring, onboarding, keeping your developing your team. This is stuff that is really just not, there's no measure of it. So at the end of the day, when a, when a leader is being evaluated, what are they being evaluated on? Some, some like, business metrics um what did your team ship or like but but what about like how much of your team has survived this year or or what about how many of your hires have made it through the the probation period or uh, that's just something that is not and i and i think that it's because we we are not investing in, in leadership we are not investing in training we are not investing in coaching and i've heard so many times like it's like people literally have laughed at me because i was saying that i think coaching is really important and they were like yeah, we don't have time for coaching. What do you mean coaching? <laughs> and and and, I, and it was like often very condescending. Like coaching is this like ridiculous concept because we have no time and resources. I'm like, this is going to cost you in the long term to have a revolving door of people leaving your yeah. team is going to cost you. Every time you onboard someone, every time you as a hiring manager are hiring a new position, you know how much time that takes? Like there was a time when I was more than 70% of my calendar was just interviews for candidates. Yeah. Plus the risk of not having the right candidate, right? Because you can also make a mistake. But yeah, I mean, I had countless conversations when I was helping a mental health startup getting their first MVP out there. And I don't have enough knowledge about this topic. I'm also super interested. But I would say there are certain things that contribute to this issue. First of all, I think one time I talked to someone from HR and there's a legal issue with reporting attrition or turnover or even sick days mm-hmm. explicitly. So that's one thing that mm-hmm. could be a legal issue in the first place. The second I would I would say has to do with a cultural aspect when it comes to, you know, 
think about the US, all the leadership books that you can see, great managers here and that. For instance, when I moved to, to Berlin, like the concept of, of having one-on-ones, regular catch-ups with your manager to talk about anything but work, right, is kind of weird here. And I, I was trying to figure out why that was the case. And, you know, after reading this lovely book, Culture Map, the U.S., they, they, they really pay attention to leadership skills because you most of the times are going to be challenged and you're, you better be good at persuading. And they value a lot this move fast. And if you want to move fast, you need to have this buy-in. You know, in order to get that buy-in, you need to convince others to follow. In Germany, it's a more hierarchical culture. So here it's like, hmm, well, if the boss is saying that we should go this way, I'm not very convinced, but hey, fuck it, we'll do it. Right? So I'm not sure how much they care about having this very good relationship with your direct reports, you know, unless you are terrible, basically. So, I mean, yeah, 6 p.m., 5 p.m., I got to go meet my friend and have a drink. You know, Why would I care? Plus the, the setup that you have in Europe, which is, you have almost 30 days, vacation days, like no one is really gonna judge you if you take a sick day because you're not feeling great. Um, you can take even more than that, maternity leave, and all this does kind of compensates that environment. But that's just okay. a theory. Very, very interesting. That's a really interesting perspective, and I, I guess I, I don't like to generalize, but you're right in that the hierarchy is definitely stronger here in that you become a manager because you, you have the tenure. You've been in this position for three years. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you get promoted to a management position, not necessarily because you, are, you have the right nature for it, because you actually want to lead a team, because you actually you know, have the qualities that would make you a great leader. And that's definitely the case where a lot of bad leaders are just being promoted that really should never have, they should be in some IC principal track. They, mm -hmm. like, they, they have no place leading people. Um, and then, then that, that just like spirals. The other side of it is that that can be really covered up by the fact that people can just deal with them because of the, the, the good working conditions here. But I think the other perspective is that, yes, okay, there are people who will just like just like hang out and like a, a good paid job, but you're not getting the best out of those people. And I think like, how do we get the best out of, out of people in this context and really have them have that intrinsic motivation? When I became a manager, I became a manager of a team that I was part of. So before I got promoted, I spoke to everybody in my team and I said to them, hey, I'm applying for this job. If I became your manager, would you be okay with that? And I really chatted with everybody before I took that role and really understood. And they, and they were really happy and really motivated and said, like, yeah, we would love it because you know us. Like, you know who we are. You know our strengths. You know what, what we can do. You know what we care about. So they were really excited to have somebody who knows them become their manager. I think that's like... And then from there, you can, I, I really could work with everybody on their specific motivations and like, why are they in this position? Like, is it for money? Are they waiting for the next, the next promotion? Um, do they really care about the product and get really nerdy about the tech? Like what motivates them? Because and, and if you don't understand that about the person who's working for you, then you've already lost the battle because you don't know why they're, they're acting up. And I think that everyone has a different reason for why they're a PM or reason why they're a designer. And there's something that really intrinsically motivates them. If it's just money, can be really really hard because then it's like okay you have to sort of be like oh i'll give you a raise if you actually do your job it's it's not the, the most fun situation to be in but i i really think that nine times out of ten it's really not money it's it's something else it's like we're not going to work for for money 100 percent agree i think nine out of ten it's not the money and some cases speaking from experience i invested i believe in this startup i put so much 
energy and effort on the, um, discovery and my teammate just did not listen or the product manager is like, oh, great, cool, but we have something to show. We can't meet the stakeholder. That you're, you open up and you show your vulnerability and passion about the product or the company and when you get shut down a little bit by people who's been there for a while, tenure, managers who don't have the leadership, and then like, all right, if you don't really want my this much effort, I'm not going to put that much effort in <laughs> putting research discovery, let's say, as a designer. I'm not going to, as an engineer, I'm not going to go look at all these new technologies that might be useful for us because the leadership or the PM or the company doesn't really, really get excited when your employees have that passion and bring up these ideas. Why break something if it's not broken? That is Germany for me. Why use fax machines, guys? Like it's not broken. <laughs> you know, like yeah. use mail. It's not broken. So just to like just to, to iterate on that thing, I think that that's a really difficult situation, Enoch. Like when someone is motivated and they eventually become demotivated because they're getting a lack of recognition. And then, and then it comes back to like, what motivates them? And is, is it recognition? And, and then how, how do you as a manager sort of compensate for that? Because you can do that for your team. If, if they are not being recognized by the bigger organization, you as a manager can do that and can really make them feel enough. And I think that a great example was one time I was really motivated. I had this idea and I was, I was like, we have to do this. It's so freaking obvious. And we have to do this. And, and I made a pitch and I showed it to my manager. My manager was like, this is a great pitch. I'm going to show it to my boss. So she created a private meeting for me and her boss. And the three of us had this meeting and I, and, and he, I, it took 20 minutes and I pitched him my idea and he loved it. And then, and then he then took me to a meeting with the C-level where I could pitch that idea to the C-level. Right. And, and it, and it, and it was, and if, if he had not liked it and said like, you know what, I'm not really into it, but, but my manager would have at least shown me that she believes in me. Right. So I would have been the only the step of her showing my idea to somebody helped me feel validated that what I had done mattered. And even if he had not taken it on the next level, I would have still felt like mm -hmm. that was an opportunity. I, I got a chance to like pitch to a, to a director. It was a great learning experience. I'll do better next time. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's just like Excellent. taking that step and acknowledging what I did. And then, and then in the end, I ended up pitching at the sea level was really cool. It was then for me, a huge learning experience. Just like spoiler alert, the idea came to life like a lot, a long time later. But you know, for me, at least I had had that, like that experience of trying to figuring out how to get my idea through an organization. But what made me feel great was like my manager believed in me. And I think that's like what you can do as a, as a manager. So they like, and that's where I think that we always making excuses, but it's often as a manager, that's your job. Like that's literally your job. Your team is doing all this work and you have to help them be successful, help them keep their spark, help them keep their motivation, help them do their best work. And you need to, and to do your best work, you have to feel valued. Um, and motivated and whatever it is that makes you feel happy when you go to work. And that's your job as a manager to figure that out. The the, the amount of times that I felt that I was pushing too hard. We, we we discussed about this in other episodes as well, right? Like you're there, super invested, you know, believing in, in, in the mission. And then you look around and you don't see the same level of energy. It, it can be very demotivated. So honestly, I think we can make an entire episode just on this topic. So I want to move forward and talk a little bit about your next venture. Uh, let's talk about where are you starting, what are you going to be doing, what excites you, and yeah, move from there. 
Well, I guess by the time this is probably released, I will already have <laughs> started in my new job at, at yeah. Deep Out, which is like very exciting. When I was looking for my next role, I, I had some criteria that were important to me thinking about my learnings in the past now. One of them was I really wanted to, I, I, my, my B2C experience. I really wanted to go back to a, to a more product led environment where there's a lot of data. That's like, I really, I really missed that experiment side of, of building products because it's something that I really loved. And thinking about how does UX and data work together in Autoscout, you know, it was just so much fun to solve mysteries with data. And I'm really excited to, to like go to a product that really has that, that huge amount of data again. And so it was really, really exciting for me. I'm excited to go to a company as a product led they're, 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 it's a comp- it's a product that everybody has access to everybody can use um, and then eventually they have this b2b or this enterprise side of their of their offering but i, I think that's something a, a, a type of product building that i'm interested in because i have a little bit of a like i think we all a lot of us have this opinion that b2b products the way that they are these days are kind of dying and everything is going to have to become more self-serve in the future because this sort of like, oh, we need a demo to, to understand a product. We're all so savvy now that we don't want to wait for a demo to really understand a product. We want to use it ourselves. And that's a huge UX challenge. Like, how do you onboard somebody and show them value immediately? And I think this is something I'm really interested in learning and, and developing and understanding for. Because I think it's just, it's just going to be critical in, coming, in the coming years as we have less traditional B2B companies. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. And then, uh, yeah, I'll be, and I, the, I think that this is the first time I will be working on a product that I use every day. So I use DeepL mm-hmm. so often. It's one of my favorite products. So I think I've recommended it to everyone in my, in my circle. Like you have to use this, the best translation app as somebody who works in architect, you know, with my, my German wasn't perfect. So I relied on it a lot to help, you know, formulating emails to my customer, to my clients back then. I used it obviously in my last in my last role because we were in a very technical regulatory topic. So I had to translate regulatory documents and understand everything. So I used it really intimately every day. So it's really it really ticks a lot of those boxes for me. And then I will be managing a, a design team. The team is spread out throughout. Is in Amsterdam. Is in Berlin. Is in is in Germany. They don't have any it, HQs. They they have an HQ in, in Cologne. That's the that's the biggest HQ. But most but most people are working remote in the company. So my my job is a fully remote company. And they have like offices where people can join, but there's no obligation to go to the office. So I'm excited that's... about that. I'll be working on the apps and integrations team. Apps integration, okay. Apps and integrations, yeah. That's, that's super nice. I mean the the fact the fact that now we we know what product led is. Like I think companies like Slack basically made that term famous because they found a way to just cut all that loop on signing businesses by just trying the product and then making you invite others and come along and then when you're already very deep in the funnel they will just use a sales person and I didn't know at the beginning that DPL was European to be honest. Mm. To the yeah. to the folks like me who say why DeepL versus Google Translate, what would you say? I would say so DeepL in the beginning when I started using it, it was just so much better than Google Translate. DeepL won so many of their users back then because it was just it, it, it understood terminology, not translation, but terminology. How do we actually speak? What do we actually mean when we translate something? Mm. That's something as somebody with my like I had decent German and then perfect English, and then I could really understand that, hey, this translation is really weird coming out of Google. And I would just be like, that sounds off. Nobody would say that. They wouldn't understand 
the use of, of of like formal and informal, for example, it wouldn't understand the context of what of what we're saying. And but with with DeepL, you could always like you could first of all understand that it understood terminology and it was much more natural. And the second thing is you could edit the the translation really well. The user experience was always great. You could start playing around and make it sound like you. And and it, so and so for me, it's like it was always something that I just found more natural to use. And even ChatGPT now, a lot of people are using that instead of um, a Google mm-hmm. Translator. But I think you're losing a lot of the freedom, which is like you want to choose even every single word that you want to tweak and and make it really feel more like you. Um, so for, for my for my application to Depot, I I did a case study, and and for that I conducted my own research with my my friends and family. I sent out a survey out to like people in my network, so around thirty people, and it was very interesting to get the feedback. And and I what I what I learned from that survey was that what Depot is being used for isn't translation; it's communication. So they are using it to communicate better. So to communicate to the landlord in Germany, and they don't want to send a weird formal Google translated message. They want to be charming. They, they want to have, mm-hmm. they, they want to send a charming message to their landlord about whatever they need. and that's what really the power of a good translator is. It's making communication great and, and natural, and I think that's what Depot does amazingly. By the way, I think you sent me that survey, checking yes. on our messages, and and never completed. Sorry, it's okay. You, you you were one of those, you you were the one that was one who weren't a Depot user, I think. So I, maybe, I just sent it to maybe. a lot of my expat friends because I assumed that they were using it, and if they weren't, yeah, they should be for sure. Yeah, <laughs> at some like, point I had that pin tap, but the translating nuances and Reem again, putting back you lived in different countries, you speak different languages. There are jokes, nuances that cannot really translate by Google or by these big companies, and knowing like or these big companies, they're not going to invest the time and energy to find the perfect match for let's say German or European languages besides Spanish because that's the bigger market. Spanish, Chinese, Mandarin, right? A lot of users, that's what the business case is. But let's say like Korean, like in Korea, right? They all, we also have their separate one because mm-hmm. right off the bat, there's a hundred million Korean speakers. It's better for Google to invest the resources in Spanish or than Korean, right? So these innovations happen, tax fix, DeepL, happen because they know the need of their users, European users or uh, Korean users, and you build a better product. And as these tools become more, like a smarter, right? We as PMs will have at some point some kind of internationalization or some kind of translation feature, whatever, to support different languages and so on. Why? Because using Google Translate API just sucked, right? Um, because But a detailed API textual. is great. <laughs> And that was my, my, my teaser for you, right? So you, you talk a little bit about the B2C aspect at the beginning, which we all know the app and all, but I have no idea about the B2B aspect. Uh, tell us more about that. So it's, it's exactly as, as you mentioned. So for some companies that have like that have markets around the world, is that there's an API where they can like, where they uh, translation happening and, that's, and it's in a much higher quality. It's being used by, for example, marketing teams who have to like, Come up with marketing language across different um, markets, so it's 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 a really powerful tool. Is even glossaries where you can have a, a glossary of how like something is specifically created and or, or spoken about in this company or in this context, and then the translator will use the glossary to make the translation even more accurate or sound more in context for for the the need of the company. So, and one of the they have even one tool which I thought I found fantastic, which I discovered in my research, which is like if you can upload documents like a like a presentation like 
And then it will just translate everything in the presentation for you and just spit it out for you in a PDF and completely mm-hmm. translate it for you. Like in, in a few seconds. And it's like stuff like that is just so cool. I don't even know about it. I really want to emphasize this communication point. Like, for example, I was working now with developers that couldn't speak German and we had products that were very, very German. And we were spending so much time translating things back and forth. They need to understand the context of what they're building, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as, as companies are growing, you're going to have more people from around the world. Who knows? Maybe we're going to have bigger teams, offshore teams, and you need a good trend, a way to communicate between the teams, understand what everybody's building. Um, and this is what the API really can, can support. <laughs> I mean, you, you just remind me a, a specific case, like in bigger companies, for instance, you maybe have someone that is doing the copywriting, right? Or, or even the translations. I, I, it happened to me that we use this tool called phrase app or something like that. We'll have keys and all over the website and then we'll have different translations and so on. But, you know, this underrated skill for a product person, which is writing product copy, <laughs> sometimes also shared with the design and all that. So on. I'm like, how how this person can have a fraction even of the context that I have to come up with something that I would thumbs up, so to speak, right? I'd rather do that myself. So because I have so much knowledge about the context, then give me a tool where I can speed up that process and I am not investing t- 20% of my time doing translation only for protocopy. So, yeah, I mean, it's, not great news for them, but I think that's the way to go. It's wild to me that in most companies, there's some random person in the company doing copy. Like there's that one Ukrainian colleague in the whole company doing copywriting. Or there's that one Hungarian person in your company who you double check copy with because you obviously don't have co- copywriters in every single like in every single language. But that's what really happens. And, that, and I think that's like where, as you said, if you have a tool that helps you get to a more natural translation faster, you're saving a lot of energy and time. Because yeah, so much is lost in translation. And I think that's also maybe, I, I ju- it just occurred to me now in this conversation about third culture kids, maybe that's also why I'm very attracted to this like product because I think when I learned German, I was so not funny. I, I couldn't make jokes in German. But it, it took so long for my German to feel natural. And and like and, that, and as somebody who values speaking and how I carry myself, public speaking, persuasion, it was so hard for me to suddenly be be at a like what's it called like disadvantage exactly to be at a disadvantage because I suddenly did not have the language to communicate the way I wanted to to be charming, do the small talk that I wanted to do. And, and I think also that's something really limiting, but this tools like this in the future are going to break down those barriers. So you can have people from around the world still express themselves. We can maybe slack each other and feel like it's more natural. And I think this is like a really, it's, it's super powerful for me connecting people around the world. Exactly. And I'm waiting. I mean, I haven't told you, David, I mean, we got some <laughs> listeners from Latin America and Argentina, our podcast listeners. I mean, you can do your in Spanish. I'll just use DeepL API, and then we'll have a AI to train my voice. You know, and you're gonna be speaking about Fiesta everywhere. An- another product podcast in Spanish. Another product podcast in German. Right? Again, the audience that we're reaching are just English speakers. Mm-hmm. But again, with these new technology, um, again, smart translations who understand the nuances. You can get there, right? I follow a couple podcasts. They started, they couldn't afford to get an actual translator to translate their podcast, voice <laughs> actors, and try to make it. But with these new tools, translation tools, that, again, look, it's more communication-focused, right? conversational focus with AI voice training, 
I mean, it's getting ridiculous. At some point, they are so good. I don't know if you saw that short video of Messi, Lionel Messi. And so we always joke like, well, if you're the number one, you can always speak your broken native language. And it came out an AI video where he is basically speaking with a perfect American accent with his voice because it was trained with his voice. And even the video with his lips moving and so on that's hilarious mm. and that's where we're going you know mm. so yeah that was super funny yeah it's, i think it's it's going to be an interesting it's an interesting time right now i think it's a, it's also i guess why it's exciting to go to like deepa has, has been doing this this ai like tr translation thing for a long time this is like they're not new in this game and i think that they're only gonna this entire future this ai future is only gonna make their their product so much more interesting and i'm, I'm excited to be part of the journey i think it's I'll I'll be able to tell you more once I start. So mm -hmm. maybe there'll, there'll have be to a do second a follow up for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe it's there'll coming. be a follow up. Follow -up. Exactly. Yep. But I guess I mean just to back to like what we're just the, the, this, this what we've been discussing today. I'm excited just to be part of a team again to to be to and the, the team seems really really wonderful and yeah I'm excited just to be part of part of it something bigger again. I think it's just like yeah I I, I like to play team sports. I guess I never would have played tennis or. <laughs> or, or some other some other solo sport. I think I, I always like to play football and I was always part of like to play, you know, big team sports. So I'm excited to be back in that. Great. Parenthesis. Do we have the real PM section? Of course I do. So yes. Let's Reem, go. As a part two, I don't know if you listen, it's just rapid fire questions to, you know, get a little bit of your personality let's you know let's we talked about very wisdom today i want to loosen up a little bit right so go for it yeah so I'll, I'll ask you some questions and let me know what you think i want to know if you leveled up your life hacks <laughs> can you now oh, no. do the ninja full clothes when in your sleep or do you have perfect mug brownie uh recipe that you <laughs> no but, okay <laughs> So the, the 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 ninja fold, I've solved the problem by just not folding clothes. I, I've just decided that, that in the amount of hours I have in a day, folding clothes is a very low priority, um, especially when it comes to children who will mess up their clothes in a few hours anyway. So my I've given up on folding altogether. It's, no, it's not a priority in my, in my list. As for hacks, I think my, my biggest learning, whenever you make a mess, just clean it up right away. It's like, don't, don't put it down, put it away or something like that. It's like a meme where it's like, if I'm going to put this thing down, where does it actually belong? And then everything sort of stays a bit more organized. And it's like, it's definitely helped me, I think. My, my husband, I think, is probably a bit irritated by this mentality right now. But <laughs> We might have to get feedback from your husband. Um, Follow up with him. Yep. The second question. Describe UX design in three emojis. Oh, in three emojis. Uh, that's a hard one. So... I always use the little, the little, the little painter man, like the designer, like it's like, it's like the artist. Yeah. So like the little artist guy and then um, the two little like tango dancers together because, you know, it's mm -hmm. a dance. And the third one is uh, the hug one, the little hug emoji. The hug. So, so it's about like Empathy. design or, or like art. It's about collaboration, like dancing together. And it's about connection or like giving people a nice virtual hug to your users nice really nice you, you had that one prepared did you share the questions in advance I did not. wow yeah it's the adaptability and small talk yeah, she's, <laughs> oh, i tell you she's a smart i i use emojis a lot i think that's probably <laughs> there we go that too a famous app you secretly think has terrible ux ui 
famous app. I mean, there's so many famous apps that have terrible UX. So, I don't. Do, do you guys use Audible? I used to. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that like it's so interesting how some of these Amazon products like have such horrible <laughs> UI. I'm just like like this this product is so successful. I'm sure some people are using Audible, but it's like I feel like the app hasn't improved in like years. And I'm like, what's mm-hmm. happening, guys? Like this could be way easier and more efficient, and you could recommend me so much stuff, and I'd buy so many more books. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's we'll take not my favorite. Audible, Audible, reach out to your girl. We'll send her contact. I, I, I guess like I'm in the stream because I just bought my first Kindle. So I'm now like, uh-huh. I, I was reading about how I was reading about thinking about how I could read more and like Kindle. Apparently everyone was talking about how the progress bar in Kindle helps you read faster. It's like a bit of a data driven like thing. So I got a Kindle and it's really working. I'm reading like so much faster um, than I would. It's amazing. Yeah. I have like, yeah. I've been reading physical books because I'm really nostalgic and I love books. But my this Kindle experience has been blowing my mind. But I'm just like super annoyed with the Audible experience. I'm like, you guys should up your game because the Kindle experience is pretty good. Oh, totally agree. Um, this is a very, very important question, and I will judge you on this. Sorry, I'm gonna be flat out. Cool. David might too. I will. Which one do you prefer, Japanese bidet or French bidet? Mm, strange question. But yes. probably French. And it's what? closer. It's closer to Arab Arabic, which is like just my. Ah. Okay. 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 We're not going to comment or dive deeper. <laughs> I gotta keep it as ambiguous. Okay. Next. Okay. How would you describe the color yellow to an alien? I would be like. I mean, well, it depends how the aliens feel, like how they how they perceive the universe. Like I don't know their sensory. Like how they like how they enjoy senses. These are good questions. See, this that's already a good answer. Product and designer starting with the questions. Yeah, but that's because I also read a lot of sci-fi, and I'm just and I'm trying to figure out which which mythology of alien I'm going to use. So, <laughs> so imagine imagine a mode where you're overwhelmed, but you're happy at the same time. That's yellow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I'm saving that one. Mm. So next questions are fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. The biggest misconception people have about switching career is blank. Is that you're gonna you're gonna lose time in your career in your career ladder because it's not a ladder, it's a it's like a jungle gym, you know? There's like there's 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 not there's more than one way to go up, and I think horiz- you can go horizontal and then still be climbing at the same time. Nice, facts like it. Being a mom has taught me that the best design in the world is blank. Oh, the best design in the world is kids' shoes that they can put on by themselves. <laughs> That's wisdom. That's that right is there. wisdom. Yeah, saving time. Yeah. One thing about German work culture that still surprises me is blank. Oh, I know what it is. It's, it's people's weird obsession with like, you know, per, like no typos. And like if someone has a typo, then they're, then they're the worst person in the world. Like just like, I don't know. It's, it's like this weird, like everyone spends so long writing a perfect message. And I'm just like, yo, that's, is that really worth your time? Like constructing this message perfectly? <laughs> it's just it's a strange obsession. But I think like, I don't know. I think that they all, 
been through some kind of trauma where they were, you know, bullied for writing typos when they were growing up. If, if there's one comma out of line, everyone gets really angry at each other. It's like, it's called Rechtschreiben. And I think like people are really like all sort of obsessed with perfect grammar, perfect writing. And it's like, as someone who's not detail oriented and trying to get stuff out as fast as possible, I send out really bad emails sometimes, but I'm just like, mm. I was doing it on the rush in a rush. And I, I don't think it makes me a bad person. And lastly, my name is Reem and I am blank. Okay. My name is Reem and I am, oh, it's hard. You know, my, my kid is outside in the background just screaming right now and saying, mom, mom, mom. So, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I want to say I'm not just mom. All right. Very nice. Reem, we're going to let you go now. Thank you so much for joining us as the first woman in our podcast and sharing your insights about leadership, startups in Europe, and of course, your new adventure at DPL. Until next time, listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe. See you in the next episode of another product podcast.